Oh my goodness, scorekeepers. Welcome back. Happy New Year. Woohoo. Woo-hoo. <laughs> <laughs> or all acquaintance be forgot or whatever the words are. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what, is, what language even is that song? Gaelic or something? Um, something, right? Something like right. that. I don't even know what it means. Anyway, this is the score. Hi. (laughs) 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 Minnesota Opera's podcast all about opera, classical music, and pop culture from the perspective of three Black queer administrators. As always, I am your host, Rocky Jones, and I'm here with my wonderful co-hosts, Dr. Lee Bynum. Hello, Dr. Lee Bynum. Y'all already know who I am. My name is Topher. (laughs) <laughs> sorry it's the three cups of coffee okay and <laughs> of course the luminous gorgeous fabulous intelligent wonderful Paige reynolds aka yabo in hello Hi, happy belated Kwanzaa. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> happy belated Kwanzaa to everyone. <laughs> I say Habari Ghani, but not Kwanzaa anymore. So. Well, speaking of the holidays, I feel like we haven't done this in forever because last time we did the best of episode. So did y'all have a, a good December slash holiday season? Anything exciting? Have, ooh, what happened with the card, Paige, that you sent yes. your family? Yes, I, I had a good Yule season. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so the, my family got the card. Well, not my whole family did. So, so Maybe we, we should we, update for people who perhaps didn't hear that right episode. right right so I decided to I, I knew I wasn't gonna go home make it home for Christmas this year and I sent my family a Christmas card um but not just any Christmas card <laughs> I also <laughs> came out in that Christmas <laughs> as uh as queer and as polyamorous my my family only knows one of my partners and I introduced the other in that card um so update little update um <laughs> the card made it in time for christmas but only my mother has seen it so far oh okay yes uh-huh oh. so it is it is still a developing story okay only my mother has seen it my dad has not seen it yet uh but i feel like he's gonna be fine <laughs> like, <laughs> my, my, my little sister is the more sensitive one so we shall see mm-hmm. um, i can happily report that i feel like it's in a in a way bringing me and my mom closer together mm, good that and other family stuff i mean she's very very christian she's still mm-hmm. a pastor mm-hmm. and she still is like though we may not i may not agree with all of your choices <laughs> i still love you <laughs> but i mean so it's not like her total acceptance that's like bringing us together but i mm-hmm. think it's just the honesty yeah. You know, yeah. like the tone yeah. of our conversations has changed. And I feel like also like I'm just able to express like myself and my needs as an adult in, mm-hmm. a, in a different way. Mm-hmm. So it's just, yeah, still oh, like good God. outcomes yeah. so far. Yeah. Shout out to my mommy. Yeah, shout out to my <laughs> <Mr>. Reynolds. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> 
Well, good. Well, I, I look forward to hearing more updates as more and more people see the card. Yeah. yeah. If you want to share, if you too. want to share. And it was cute. <laughs> friends and friends and family thought that it was really cute. <laughs> and people who knew me for a long time who were like not my parents were uh it was nice to hear people say like they were proud of me and things yeah. like that. Yeah. Like old, old family friends, like my older sister showed some of her friends and they were like, oh! like they know me since I was like a toddler. So they're like <laughs> Well, we're proud of you too. Absolutely. Oh, thank you. Yeah, Thanks, absolutely. <laughs> that means a lot. And you know, we raise our parents as much as they raise us. And everything Ooh, is a process with them, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. 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 Real. Very real. I've been talking to other folks recently about parent stuff and mm-hmm. talking about how boomers are coming to like a collective reckoning moment <laughs> like, mm-hmm. across the board they are uh they're dealing with some things yeah. and, with, with, and with some changes yeah. so <laughs> 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 it's true yeah. it's true it's like you know my my grandmother is in hospice care right now Mm-hmm. Um, and we're not sure how much longer she will be with us, but she's 102. Um, but watching my father, who's almost 80 years old, for the first time, really have to reckon with, with, you know, living his life without his mother um, mm-hmm. here on Earth. Um, it's just, it's amazing to see just sort of the little boy and him come out um and it's it's been like my whole life he's been sort of this big figure like he's Mm. he's physically you know a big guy but also his presence is so huge and to you know have this new sort of dialogue with him it's just been really eye-opening um you know and you say like we're we're raising our our parents as well it's just like Oh, wow. Just the stages of life that we all move through. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How was your holidays? But anyway. How was y'all's holidays? Yeah. Good. Good. I I was in Virginia. Um, speaking of parents, my mom had surgery. She had eye surgery. So... Um, I was in Virginia and just by a series of random things, my sisters were out of the country and my brother and his wife were coming to Virginia, Virginia, like hours after I was going, coming back here. So it was interesting getting to spend some time with my mom completely by myself because coming from a family with a bunch of siblings, the amount of hours that I've got to spend with either of my parents without other people present are very very few so we had like a lot of fun and it's you know Uh my my dad passed uh almost eight years ago and my dad was very very funny like just like one of those kinds of people a joke a minute and i never got to understand how funny my mom was because she was constantly playing the straight man and it's been kind of interesting in the last couple of years to realize, oh, my mom is really funny. I had no idea. <laughs> and <laughs> getting to spend a lot of time with her, just the two of us, 
and my sister's stupid dog, but that's a story I'm going to leave right where it is, um, was a, a really lovely week. And I was glad that I got to, because um, she couldn't see because of the surgery um, while she was recovering, I actually got to take care of her, which was a, a little bit of a reversal. Um, and it was interesting to have my mom being having to tell her to do something, like reminding her, make sure you take your medicine, make sure you put your eye drops in. And a couple of instances was her being like, no, I'm I'm doing this. I'm being like, mother, <laughs> I really need you to do this. Um, so yeah, that was that was interesting. It was a different kind of Christmas, but we had a nice time. Yeah. Well, my December was a movie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um well i think right after our yay sagittarius season happy birthday everybody um <laughs> after three years i finally got to see what all the fuss was about with all this covid business <laughs> and <laughs> i can tell you it is not fun <laughs> that sucks <laughs> that was awful i got the i got the full 10 day treatment oh. and, you know i've gotten all my shots and whatnot and the new one and everything but i still i was symptomatic baby and... <laughs> <laughs> so that that was that was an experience and you know when i was in vancouver i was um driving around with friend of the show um Ashley Foot and and we were talking about COVID and he was talking about his experience and he was like oh you probably like got it but you just didn't realize that you got it yet yeah, no <laughs> <laughs> this is how my body reacts to COVID and I I would have noticed um but after that um I I recovered just in time for Christmas and we spent that with my husband's family and four of his nieces are pregnant. Woo! Four. So next Christmas is going to be loud. <laughs> <laughs> Do any of them uh, live here? And does anybody need a doula? Oh! oh. oh. <laughs> I will put them in touch with you. Hello, um, holler. <laughs> My calendar's <one> of, open. <laughs> one of them is having her baby like now pretty much um but the other three are not due till this spring and summer so all right now. i will absolutely let them know that fabulous doula <laughs> i mean i could just like doula for all of them and then they could have like continuity of care like yeah. ooh, doesn't that sound fun ooh. like i'm just saying i'm just throwing things out there, ideas you know okay 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 <laughs> <laughs> oh i can see this a, a, an arc on born to love it's giving season premiere. Uh, it's giving it's season giving... premiere. It's giving material, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but you know, other than that, it's it. Uh, well, other than that, no, the whole thing. It's been other than the COVID, everything right. was good. Everything was good. <laughs> <laughs> and now we're here in 2023. Um, we made it. Which is. Yeah kind of crazy to think about it's just the last few years have just been an absolute blur 
I still think it's 2019 sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But if you're kind of feeling the same way and you are sort of limping into this year, um, (laughs) don't blame you. But we have a fantastic guest on the show today. Um, We have the wonderful um, Ginger Klee. Um, Ginger is an incredible um, license. She's a counselor um, out of Southern California. And if you are sort of thinking like, oh my God, 2023, I'm not in the place I want to be. I have to go back to my job and it's, I'm dealing with all of this stress, all of this acculturative stress and ah! (laughs) Um, she has some wise words for all of us um, that we can take into 2023 and our lives and hopefully, um, you know, in a much more restive, peaceful state when as happens. much as we can with the state of the world uh, <laughs> and Kevin McCarthy and all of that business. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, I can't, we don't have enough time. I'm sorry. <laughs> I shouldn't have even brought it up. <laughs> but stay tuned. We'll be right back with Ginger Clee. All right, everybody, welcome back. Ah, my goodness, 2023, it is upon us. It is here. <laughs> it's so crazy to think about. The years are just flying by. Um, but hopefully all of you got to have some time to take a little break over the last couple of weeks, perhaps spend some time with loved ones or just with yourself, pursuing something that you're passionate about or just resting. Um, but the reality is, is that, you know, January 2nd, a lot of us are having to head back to whatever we do to earn money and pay the rent. (laughs) And for a lot of folks of color, a lot of global majority folks, that means going back to a predominantly white institution and doing our best to survive um, that environment, that system that has not been built for us. Um, And so we wanted to take some time to really think and talk about this this issue and I couldn't think of anyone better to have this conversation with than Ginger Cleve. Welcome to the show Ginger. How are you today? Hello, hello. I am doing all right and I'm so happy happy to be here. Awesome. Thank you. We're so happy that you're here. And just a little bit about Ginger. Ginger is a queer, multi-ethnic Korean mental health specialist, um, licensed professional counselor um, in private practice in Orange County, California. Uh, She specializes in treating trauma and acculturative stress and treating the queer and trans and BIPOC communities. Uh, She treats adolescents and families and is also an adjunct psychology professor. um, And she teaches about the intersectionality of gender, sex, sexuality, and ethnicity. Um, so that's amazing. <laughs> cool. Super cool. <laughs> Super necessary. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Yes, 100%. Uh, honestly, some of that like just fell into my lap. Like in, in hindsight, I'm like, oh, that makes sense that that's my career path. But if you had told me 10 years ago that this is what my career path would have been, I would have had no idea. So what steered you into that path? 
Um, yeah. How did you, how did you, how did you start? Um, well, I struggled a lot growing up and, and particularly like my teenage years and I benefited from therapy, but my, my mindset has always been, I wanted to help people in ways that I was, but I also wanted to help people in ways that I was not. And, uh, I would say maybe unfortunately or fortunately the last, I think five, six years really emphasized that much more what I didn't get my adolescence and early adulthood years mm-hmm. um what was lacking in the ther- multiple therapists that i'd seen over the years so i think a big motivation is becoming that that therapist that i never got um especially as a like queer um multi-ethnic korean person mm-hmm. uh, just it, even with the therapist i had five years ago was just it became blaringly obvious like oh we can't work on those things Mm. Uh, and yeah so that was not fun especially you know at that point being a full-blown therapist at that point, <laughs> making that realization so yeah um and then obviously 2016 and certain political things I don't really know how <laughs> you want to go there uh, but that made what I do that much more in demand um, I, I, mean, I mean, even though it was sad, right? Um, but honestly, it's always been needed. I just think that 2016 yeah. helped people realize, oh, I actually do need this. I deserve this. And there's more and more resources and options for people to pursue it, which is really great. Mm-hmm. Kind of like something really terrible had, to, well, multiple, <laughs> multiple terrible things had to happen um for more awareness and for more value um to be put in in mental health especially for queer BIPOC people Mm. yeah that definitely resonates and I think here for us if it wasn't 2016 (laughs) then it was definitely 2020 yes then (laughs) (laughs) yeah oh yeah Yeah. a lot of people in my life I knew were just like okay I need help um this just (laughs) became too much this just became way out of my zone to handle alone. So yeah, I think I I would love to to de- to dig more into I think one of the things that that kind of came up when you talking about starting, you know, the what it's like to be in a space that's not really made for you and that even comes up in therapy, but like what is that uh your your explanation of that your for for yeah. what that what that impact has had on us like collectively as as BIPOC folks um let's just get into it because I think we're gonna <laughs> I think we're gonna it's like it's like deep it sounds to some folks I'm I'm aware that it may sound like a simple question like yeah what are the impacts of that but like I know we're about to spiral into a conversation <laughs> that is gonna go into all kinds of ways yeah yeah I, I mean really the biggest uh place we could start from and then n- and narrow down is like just systemically right systemically this is still a not just not just white centric but like eurocentric colonization centric system and that's unfortunately in everything mm-hmm. in our country even yeah. in the mental health field um you know my training was still very much based on colonization white culture mm-hmm. and you know and that's every single system in this country 
And even though we're trying to break those systems and create new ones, uh, we were literally fighting hundreds of years of uh, what was considered the standard, what was considered norm, right? Um, and it's really hard to uh, realize that, especially like, oh no, this business has only been around for 20 years or 10 years, or it's brand new. It's like, okay, but if you haven't done any active work to you know change your foundation and also your your own personal values we all have internalized racism we all have that um mm -hmm. so if you haven't done the personal work uh, then it's still going to be there at least to some degree right and that's what's so hard um because it takes so much more work and so much more self-awareness and also personal accountability uh, to really make something different. Yeah. And then when you're a BIPOC person in a predominantly white space, a lot of times we feel like there's just something wrong with us, right? That's always the initial, right? Yeah. I'm not good enough. I'm not working hard enough. Um, cause a lot of us are resistant. I've even had clients who are resistant to identifying and realizing that there's something systemically racist going on because hmm. they don't want to see their company that way. They don't want to see their peers, maybe their friends, their mentors that way. Um, but, and also it is really defeating to think of it that way. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but once you start seeing that it helps you realize what you want instead, what you deserve. Um, I don't know. I feel like I'm now going in like multiple different directions. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I just like to go back to like what you're actually asking, which is like, what's it like to be in those kind of spaces? Um, it's a different culture right mm -hmm. and culture means so many things mm -hmm. culture means values morals beliefs standards and so that's why a lot of times we don't feel like we belong or we realize uh we don't there's something wrong because it's based on white colonization culture and many of us even myself where i'm so i, I like the term multi-ethnic um because mixed um some people were like that term but i feel like multi-ethnic fits best for me because it means like multicultural essentially um mm. even someone like myself where i'm uh you know part white i don't know there's just still not a great language for that um you know but my korean self like those values don't fit in with white colonization cultural values and so if i'm in a business or a career or an educational path that's based in that it's going to hit conflict um and you can feel like how can you stay true to yourself but then still succeed in your field or still succeed in your academics um when a lot of times what's anything different than white colonization culture is deemed wrong so one of the um 
the the first time that I I heard you speak about this um, was in 2020 at Art Equity. Shout out Art Equity, um, <laughs> an, an, an organization that means a lot to this show. Um, mm-hmm. But um, at their um, inaugural um, surviving predominantly white institutions um, series of talks. And um, one of the things that you brought up, and I think that what, what you're talking about right now um, is is the term acculturative stress, which mm-hmm. I had never heard of before. Um, and when you explained it, it made complete sense. And then thinking about all of the psychological, physiological effects of that stress and racialized trauma, um, for me was just sort of like because like some some of them are pretty obvious right you know you come home you know you're filled with the sadness or anger and you pick a fight with your partner or you (laughs) kick the dog you drink a bottle of wine (laughs) (laughs) um but some of the ones there were there were a number of physiological psychological effects that like i hadn't even really like thought about so i was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about acculturative stress and some of the ways that it it can show up it can manifest absolutely i think i think the first thing is is to define culturation but also in, in comparison to simulation most people, like in my classroom, obviously it's a it's a small sample, but in my classroom and in the talks that I've done um, and the clients that I see, I'll, I'll ask them, like, have you heard of the term assimilation? And well, 70, 80% of them will be like, yeah, I know that term. Um, but when I ask if anyone's heard of acculturation, it's maybe 10% or less. And I, that in itself is a perfect example of uh colonization um culture being so dominant because assimilation technically in a cultural lens means that a might someone from a minority culture is becoming more like the majority culture and then especially with way colonizers um uh used this it was you need to become like us right we're better than you and so you're you're inferior what you do is wrong is bad is um i don't know if i want to use uh, a term that came in my head. Um, what you're doing <laughs> is wrong or bad, um, less than. And um, so yes, become like us, dress like us, practice our religion, um, our work ethic, um, etc. And acculturation is a natural or more natural process where you're, yes, you're of the minority culture, and you've now moved, well, you're a minority culture because you've moved into a place of a different culture, right? And by having just long-term exposure to this different culture that's all around you, it's naturally going to change your values a little bit. It's gonna change the way you live life. You know, when my mom immigrated here from Korea, she went from obviously a you know 100% Korean culture, collectivistic, Asian culture to this more individualistic white culture. And so that's changed a little bit about how her family functions, right? It's not just about only focusing on, not only, (laughs) uh, focusing on taking care of everyone and everything you do is a huge reflection of your family. And you're supposed to do every, every choice you make is supposed to serve your family. 
right? And, um, you know, but, but my siblings and myself are first generation born here um, because we were surrounded by individualistic culture as well. It's like, well, yes, I, I want to serve my family, but I also do want to serve myself and I do both. <laughs> um, and, you know, so that shifted our behavior that created conflict. That's where that stress comes in, right? Um, I don't want to betray my mom and my ancestors and my heritage by not following what they've always done, but I'm not just Korean anymore, right? Nor is my mom, which thankfully helped her adjust a little bit <laughs> with us. Uh, doesn't always happen. Um, you know, so it just was a natural progression. Now, I want to acknowledge that maybe not all of it was natural or by choice or like some of it was due to the racism my mom dealt with. Some of it was due to the racism that I grew up with. Um, this pressure to change a little bit is still there, but you still can make an empowered choice to shift things based on your experiences, which being exposed to different cultures can do. Um, so that's what makes acculturation so different is it's much less by force and again, can just be a natural progression of change. Um, and it's, it's a mixture, it's a combination. It's not a either or, right? Which is simulation generally has that expectation of either or. You're either um, inferior or you're a part of our group, right? Um, and, and you see that in the workspace, right? Uh, you know, you either are with us and like us and do everything like us, or you're bad, you're wrong, you're fired. Uh, and that's just, <laughs> what do you do with that? Uh, just like I felt like I was betraying, you know, my mom and my grandmother, um, and my, and my, my Korean ancestors by being a little different, you can feel like you're, feel like you have to choose between that and success. In a predominantly white space. Yeah. Wow. Oh, just sitting with that for a second. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, could you maybe say a little bit about observations you may have around how people of the global majority may have trepidations to therapy for cultural reasons or for some of the reasons that you have just described and maybe um, how you approach talking people through that. Because I think that's the thing that has definitely shown up in in my life, right? And, and people not thinking about therapy as being of our culture or perhaps another instance of, you know, some sort of imposed uh, assimilation from the outside. Totally. I'm so glad you asked that because I've even had a couple of clients flat out say to me, like, this is a white thing. And I'm like, no, it doesn't like, like self growth and healing is not a white thing. Now, some white people have appropriated some of ways that we heal, <laughs> um, looking at you, yoga and meditation, but, um, <laughs> you know, um, even though maybe, I mean, again, I, I, I speak, of course, from a Western lens, right, being born and raised in uh, the U.S. and in, in California, but um, we all deserve healing. And, 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 and honestly, therapy, though, of course, therapy here in the U.S. is still going to be very Eurocentric, 
um, therapy can incorporate and be multicultural. It all depends on the therapist, right? Um, so that's the way I try to help my clients see it of like, I'm not going to be um, trying to, to quote unquote, make you heal in a direction that you don't want to heal. And actually that wouldn't even be healing. I don't, I'm not gonna, um, I'm not going to lead you in my idea of healing. Um, that's why I love being a feminist therapist. And, uh, this isn't the only kind of therapy that's like this, but this is why I became a feminist therapist was we are not the expert of our clients. We're really actually a guide and resource for them to get better. Um, which I think is the way to be more culturally sensitive and attuned, right? If someone came to me and said that I had inappropriate boundaries with my Korean side of my family, and they're doing so from an individualistic lens, of course, it's going to seem like it's inappropriate. You know, me dropping everything and moving in with my mom at one point in my early 30s, a lot of my especially like white friends were like, what? Why'd you do that? Mm -hmm. That's Absolutely. so weird. Yep. Uh -huh. yep. But one of my closest friends even asked his mother, would you want me to do that for you? And she's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, and so some people would have thought that that was inappropriate and, and just like, I'm too close to my mom. But in Korean culture, that's absolutely what you do without question. Mm -hmm. um, anyways, <laughs> like, so you, you have to make sure that you're fine a therapist who's sensitive to, and understands that and is willing to do the work. Right. So that is where I can understand why some people would feel really turned off by therapy or think therapy is just a white person thing if they're only looking at it from that lens. Um, but the good news is, is that more and more therapists out there and more and more programs for therapists are are adding in that intersectional lens and emphasizing it instead of it just being like a side note. <laughs> um which is frustrating. Um, the other, I think, cultural obstacle can be, and this exists especially um, in a lot of collectivistic cultures, Korean culture included, is, you know, this isn't anyone's business. I can't mm -hmm. invite yeah. someone else into my business, into my family's business. This is private. Um, you know, I, I know that some, that was some of my family's trepidation with therapy and even me going into therapy like again my choice is negatively affecting them uh and that's where maybe i would lean into the acculturation piece a little bit of i understand that it feels like a betrayal it feels inappropriate um but your healing your individual healing is actually best for the collective um the way I look at family systems um, is like a like a gear shift. I think that's what it's called, where you have like the circles with like the bumps and they all line up. Is that what that's called? <laughs> Anyone know what I'm talking about? I I think so. I don't. Do any of us drive? I don't think any of us Hogs, do. Hogs gears. <laughs> I don't. Know. Oh no, wait. Yeah, well, you drive. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I drive like not the gear shift of a car. Um, a, a bicycle, like on a bicycle. Like, oh. My bad. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I use this metaphor so much, I really should learn what it's called. But, <laughs> but just imagine, like, you know, again, like we've all seen like 
in some way like it's like steampunk right it, it, those circles and they have the little ridges mm-hmm. and those mm-hmm. ridges fit together yeah. right? yes yes yeah. gotcha gotcha <laughs> <laughs> and so when you move one circle it moves all the circles right even if the circles are different shapes and sizes and in different spots because they're all connected um and so again i think especially for collectivistic families that's so much more tight-knit Right, that's so much more emphasized on how important that is to be a collective unit. Uh, and But when you go to therapy, especially by yourself, you're going to shift. Your shape is going to change. And, or you're going to move in a different direction. And even though that can feel, again, wrong and isolating, like you're betraying your family, if your family wants to stay connected they have to choose to grow with you in order for the gears to still all move together enough mm-hmm. collective change and healing and growth can happen so that they stay moving together but that means that everyone has to change now of course if someone's really resistant to that then that can create space right because they still want to stay in their system and move the way they're going to move um, but if they want to still stay connected and move with you, they have to move. Um, and so that's why when I introduce people to therapy, I tell them you need to be prepared that this isn't just going to affect you. It's going to affect other people in your life, hopefully all for the better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so therapy can still be a collective movement, collective growth, even if not everyone is going to therapy. Um, my healing has helped so many people in my family not like it's my responsibility (laughs) but (laughs) you know even with some of my korean family members again who are very anti-therapy they saw changes in me they saw my growth they saw some of the peace that i was able to establish and it helped me set different boundaries with them and communicate with them differently um, heal some of that intergenerational trauma that existed and that was again to some degree healing for them and again they shifted and changed with me so that's the other i think again big obstacle that can exist in resistance to therapy is i'm betraying my family but like really your healing can benefit your family oh 100 percent. i mean anybody who listens to the show knows that I love a good old nasty hour of therapy every week, child. <laughs> um, and, you know, and I've been in therapy sort of on and off since I was probably 12 or 13. My mom was a psych major. So as soon as I was veered from the script, it was like, go get in the therapy's <laughs> therapist's office. Um, but I've been in therapist or in therapy now for about four years. Um, and I mean, it's been fantastic it's fabulous having a therapist that shares some of my identities um but I think like at first like it had been a long time and it was kind of like you know getting back on the bike you know trying to you know and and at first it was like you know well tell me about your dad don't you talk about my dad (laughs) (laughs) um but now it's like the last time I went home I was able to sit down with my mother and we just had this beautiful conversation about for like three hours where I was able to be like more open about what some of the things that I experienced and went through. And she was able to talk about some of the things that she was going through. And, 
we went all the way back like several generations and talked about several generations worth of of trauma and it was just it was just this beautiful conversation where if i if i hadn't had the tools that i learned in therapy to be able to sort of hold that space um for myself and my mother like now we're even closer than we were before um and it's just it's a beautiful thing so yeah. y'all get in get in some therapy like for real. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do think you you uh bring up a, a good thing though to look for which is you know as ideal as it is to try to find a therapist who has similar identities to you it, it can be really hard right mm-hmm. um especially because um by the way i love that term global majority i've heard it before but i'm like mm-hmm. oh yeah why don't i use that more often <laughs> <laughs> um you know uh but unfortunately being a uh minority in this country um, especially if you had an again other intersectional identities, right? So as a as a queer multi ethnic Korean, I'm a minority and a minority. Um, and I mean, my added obstacle is also being connected to a lot of queer BIPOC therapists. So I'm like, you're my friend. You can't be my therapist. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, because even I live in Southern California, so you know there are you know. Southern California has the highest population of um, Korean Americans in the U.S um and you know our queer community is definitely better than when i lived in the south um but it can be so hard to find someone who has similar identities to you especially the more rural your areas are but mm-hmm. even in southern california there's not enough of this. um the amount of client inquiries i get where again they have so many aligning identities and i'm like i can't see all of you i'm sorry <laughs> it's terrible um but one thing I'd say is take advantage of virtual therapy. Now that's not for everybody, but one of the good things that came out of 2020 was more flexibility um, and some accessibility to resources like therapy. Uh, so for instance, I have some clients that are live in nor- Northern California, which is like, California is huge. I kind of forget how huge it is. Um, literally it would be a like eight to 10 hour drive to get to them or them to get to me oh, really, wow. right <laughs> um yeah and you know but they don't have to worry about that because i literally see them on zoom and so as long as the therapist is licensed and lives in the state you are in you can see them even if again it's a day's drive away um i mean shoot i have clients that are 30 minute drive away and still just don't want to be on zoom because it's convenient yeah. <laughs> but, um if you really get struggling to find a therapist, especially of a similar identity to yours, um, that's driving distance, if you can be open to virtual therapy, that can be in- increase your options exponentially. Um, now, of course, not all states have a lot of variety, um, but uh, again, at least it expands your options. Uh, the other thing um, that if you'd like, I can email to you and, and if you have a way to share with people who. Can. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I cannot take record um, or credit for this. Um, Dr. Raquel Martin uh, is a therapist TikToker that I follow <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she's incredible and also a um, BIPOC therapist herself. And she created this um, document of questions to ask your therapist. Um, And this isn't just for BIPOC or queer people. This is really for anybody. A lot of people don't realize like a first session with a therapist or a consultation call isn't just to see if the therapist will take you. It's do you want to take on that therapist? Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. you are paying for this mm-hmm. or your insurances, which is you're still paying for it in some way. Like you are hiring them, right? Of course, they could also, I guess, turn you down or say that you're not the right fit. But even if they say you're the right fit, you have to agree with them. And so this is an opportunity for you to ask them questions. And a lot of people, especially have never done therapy or have had terrible therapy, um, don't know what to ask or what to look for. Mm-hmm. Uh, and honestly, even if they don't answer or don't want to answer these questions, that's also very telling, right? Um, if, yeah, if you don't have a therapist, if, if you have a therapist or if you're talking to a therapist who's not comfortable answering some of these questions because they think it's too personal, I would not see them. Because uh, mm-hmm. you telling me how you're, how you practice anti-racism in your practice, or like if it's a white therapist, like, you know, how is it being a white therapist serving a client that looks like me? If they're like, oh, that's personal. Oh, no. Like, even <laughs> no, if it's no, a no, personal no, no. question, you should uh-uh. No. Because my <laughs> racial identity is also personal. Um, You know, some therapists won't agree with that. Um, Some therapists, but again, to me, that's a white supremacy colonization viewpoint. This uh that that drives me nuts in the therapy world um is therapists are supposed to be a blank slate i'm like i'm sorry i can't mm-hmm. check my mm-hmm. koreanness at the door no <laughs> like, nor should you that. obviously <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> <laughs> um now obviously i don't want to impose my own values and stuff on a client but my identities do interact with the client that's just human mm-hmm. nature you know, that's what just it, the same thing with like white people saying they don't have culture. I'm like, you do, you do, you impose it on everybody. It's <laughs> um, <absolutely>. just <laughs> your idea of you're the default is part of the problem. Um, so anyway, yeah. So some therapists can still have that mentality, and that's a very problematic one. Um, so some of the um, more specialized questions geared towards what we're talking about would be something like, um, I pulled it up. Um, Oh yeah. What are your views on the connection between racism and mental health? Just, just go right for it. (laughs) Right. Spicy. Um, Are you comfortable (laughs) discussing racism, social justice, and cultural issues? If they're like, oh no, those things like, you know, I just stay apolitical. No. Mm-hmm. Uh, again as a feminist therapist the, the, the political is personal now do i have some clients who have different political beliefs than me yes but i am still going to bring political discussion into the room especially if it has something to do with their identity mm-hmm. and i'm not going to bring it up as a well as a you know this kind of political person you should believe this now that's that's different right again that's inappropriate um but i'm going to ask how politics are affecting them Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, ask them if they have experience working with identities that are important to you. Um, you know, I currently have a cisgender straight white therapist, which is 99% of therapists I've had in my life. <laughs> um, and I asked her these really hard questions. Have you worked with the Korean community before? Have you worked with the queer community before? What did that work look like? Do you continue this work? This is me going off script of this thing, but um, <laughs> I think that's important. A lot of people yeah. think that 
Oh no, I've I've researched it. I'm done. No. Culture shifts and changes. Politics shifts and change as we have seen. Um and so if you're not constantly paying attention, well, that constantly is too much pressure. Consistently paying attention, you're going to miss something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, that that's actually a shift that's also started happening in my field. Um, and you'll still see this word used a lot, which is a culturally competent therapist, um, which isn't the worst phrasing in the world, but it's also not great. Um, okay, I'm, I appreciate that they're bringing culture into the room, that they're acknowledging that white shouldn't just be the default lens we look at everyone. Um, but competence creates this expectation that we're done. You got your degree, you took those special classes, you did your continuing education units five years ago. Gold star, no. Um, so the new term is, well, newer term was culturally sensitive so that's slightly better but my favorite that's being used a little bit more but not often enough is culturally humble Mm. i have to continually be humble that i will never know all of it that there will always be more to learn that this is a literal lifelong learning process of whatever identities I am going to work with, even identities that I belong to. This is a continual lifelong journey. This is again a lifelong educational job or part of my job. I have to be humble enough to acknowledge that I will not always get it, that I will not understand that I will not understand all of it, and that I cannot understand fully what it is like to not be some to be uh, an identity that's not mine Mm -hmm. i can't i'm not going to make my client feel like they have to educate me that's another big problem Mm -hmm. (laughs) but i will be humble enough to admit when i don't know and have the resources and make the time to learn That's what I love about that shift in phrase. That's beautiful. That's yeah. awesome. Truly. I I have a, a Rocky knows I have somewhat of a of a burning question about <laughs> the intersection of, of gender and, and sexuality and all of this. And especially, I think especially for people of color. Um and as as we're talking about culture and we talk about like assimilation and acculturation, I I have been thinking about what happened in 2020 when we all had to stay at home. Um, <laughs> and what I, my experience is talking to folks and what that has done with folks reflecting on their gender and sexuality, especially since you are, I mean, I mean at least I know for me being removed from the places you usually have to go every day, being removed from a lot of the imposed gender standards or Mm -hmm. uh, sexuality standards or monogamy standards or all of that about how we relate to each other. Like, Mm 
once we're removed from all that, something something happened for a lot of folks. (laughs) 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 Something happened for a lot of folks. It was so liberating. Yeah. And I wonder if you could, if you could like talk about that and um, yeah, what has kind of happened in the past couple of years with us reckoning with our genders. (laughs) No, I love that. You know, and you're actually the first person that I think that's really said that so plainly to me. I'm like, you know, that's so true. I mean, I, I saw it in my clients um and of course i uh saw that on, on on tiktok trends where a lot of supposedly straight particularly straight women were like oh why am <laughs> yeah. i attracted to this <laughs> <laughs> um but i think you, you actually really touched on the main component which was by i mean even though being home and quarantine and there's so many terrible things that came from that and we're still dealing with the ramifications of um, at the same time, something that became quite liberating was being away from and having a significant break from these constant gender rules, these social rules that were imposed on us everywhere we went. Being home forced us to, again, t- take a b- big break from it. And and uh, taking a break from something like that helps you reevaluate it. Like, why am I doing this? Like for me, was it was makeup. Not like I wore the most makeup ever. I'm not the most feminine person in the world, but I honestly felt like I could not be professional. I could not look professional without some semblance of makeup on. Um, that and honestly, I, for me, um, even though I I am a cisgender person, um, I've taken more liberties with my hair. Uh, courtesy of of 2020 and quarantine of being like I mean people are just gonna see this on a webcam whatever who cares <laughs> um you know because again we, we just didn't have this daily constant pressure to conform right mm-hmm. um and so with and and honestly the way people expect us to and just walk and talk uh, are related to gender, right? That's gender expression. Mm-hmm. And so if you're free from those pressures of gender expression, it can help you really explore gender in itself. Oh, I I like, you know, wearing my hair or uh, presenting myself in this way. What does that mean? It doesn't always, of course, mean a gender identity, but it can, right? Um, Oh, I haven't dealt with um, all of these like feminine expectations or this female role expectation. I'm not around all of these maybe maybe more um, stereotypical feminine people. And now that I'm free of that, I realize maybe how much I don't align with that anymore. Um, or I never really aligned with it. I just felt mm-hmm. like I did because it was around me all of the time. Ooh, been there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so so that's what that's what one of the benefits of stepping back from something can be. It can either really help reinforce, like, oh no, I miss that, right? I need that back. But it can also be a why was I dealing with that and doing that every single day? I don't want to go back to that. I don't want to step back into those shoes, step back into that role, step back into that identity label. Right. Um <laughs> The other, I think, component of 2020 that I think helped people as well is a um, term called virtual urbanization. That's existed for a while. It's existed mm. since the internet. 
um well at least internet being more accessible to people so what oh god many <laughs> years is that almost 30 years because i think the mid 90s is when uh aol like sent you know people had aol discs and i feel like that's when, <laughs> yeah when the internet became more widely accessible um you know so virtual urbanization has been a thing really since since then um so almost 30 years or about 30 years but um obviously being quarantined people did that a lot more people had a lot more time and really and not a lot of other other things to do and so even if there were already some questions being asked of yourself uh there was a lot more people to now interact with a lot more groups to look for to be a part of um which also i think was a a, a big draw for that too um oh i've not really looked at reddit before i wasn't on tiktok really before quarantine as many people weren't um and it it invited and it invited and had a lot more people willing to take that invitation i think to to more virtual community so this brings up a question for me. Um, so, you know, now that we're in this this time period where a lot of people are being called to go back to work in person, um, are called to be back in the world physically. And I know for me, you know, during that quarantine period, I made a lot of changes like everybody did. Um, you know, kind of looking at at your life and being like, I like this, I don't like this, I want to change this, how do I change this? Um, and one of the fears that I brought up with um, to my therapist was like this fear of like going out into the world and then all of a sudden you're dealing with these microaggressions again, you're dealing with all that acculturation again. And I don't, I don't want, I like this person that I've become. I like all of these changes that I've made. I'm super excited about like what my life is. Like, it's really nice to, you know, sit here in the basement and the only microaggression I get is my cat yelling at me if the dinner is late. (laughs) And she's black. So is that really a microaggression? I don't know. Uh, (laughs) um, But sort of going back into the world, stepping back into this, yeah. these systems that you know are so inequitable and not built for us like sort of going back to the beginning of this conversation yeah. what are some of the things that people can do um in order to sort of begin that healing continue that healing um what what's your what's your take on that yeah i'm glad you brought us full circle because honestly i it, we kind of naturally went back <laughs> there because just as it was, it's, it can be so great to be free of all these social, especially gender constructs that exist. Uh, it doesn't, you know, we also had, we're, we're free from, or had a lot less racial microaggressions and, and to deal with. Mm-hmm. And I want to really normalize how hard it is to go back. Um, a, a metaphor I like of this is like, say, you're used to dealing with chronic pain every day. Um, actually, I feel like that's a little less universal. Um, my white wife deals with that, but um, yeah, this is going to be more gross, but that's fine. Um, <laughs> so, 
say you're in a room all the time, you're in this room every day and you don't realize that the room smells, right? Or maybe you like start to notice a smell, right? Like maybe someone left you know, a burger in the, in the trash. Um, so, you, you know, and when it gets really bad, you start to really notice it. But even then, because you're in it every day, you don't notice how bad it is until you maybe throw it away, wash your clothes, or actually, no, hold on, sorry. The burger's still in the trash, my bad. You walk out of the room, you leave the house, and then you go back into that room and you cannot stand the smell. You were dealing mm-hmm. with that smell for maybe days or weeks, but you got a break from the smell. You got to breathe fresh air. And then you went back into it and you can't even stand it for a second. That's what it feels like to have a huge break from racism, racial microaggressions, queer phobia. And then you go back into it and it literally feels like a smack in the face. And it's like, well, I was dealing with this for years. How, how, what's different? You had a break from it. And it, again, probably put into perspective how terrible it was um, and made you question like, why am I dealing with this at all? And also just like your tolerance for it's gone completely down. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess the question is, is that, because this is, this is really hard to answer um, for just in one scenario. What I'd say is, is if you have to stay, because not everyone has, well, people would argue that you should always go, but if you're, if you feel like you need to stay, or that you can't go. Then you need to find other spaces to heal. Um, This does go back actually to a point I made with our equity a lot. Um, We can't heal until we're done surviving. And and that's such a hard Mm. idea to sit Mm. with. Um, Because if you feel like there's no place that you can... um, feel safe in, then you just feel like you can feel hopeless, but I'll try to, I'll try to bring us to some hope here. Um, but but first I would, of course I have to go back to the metaphor. So, um, I always go with the, it's like, it's like you're in the forest with a bear and obviously bears can hurt you, unfortunately. Right. So as long as you're constantly in fear of being attacked by the bear and having to run away from the bear, you know, some minor scrapes and, and whatnot that you might get um, being in survival mode can heal, of course, right? But if you have a significant injury that requires you to stay in one space and slow down and actually really take care of yourself, that's not going to happen while you're still running away from a bear. And even though you could argue that because we still have uh, a lot of systemic issues in this country, um that everything's a bear, Um, we can find at least one, you can just start with just one space, one space that's free from a bear. Ideally, that would hopefully be your home, but of course that's not true for everyone. Um, For some of my clients, the first reprieve is my therapy office. That's actually why, even though it would be cheaper for me to just work from home, because I I probably could, I will never give up my office because I want to be able to provide that safe, at least that one safe space for people. Mm. 
Um, maybe it's a, you know, for me, for a time, it was this like queer coffee shop in Long Beach. Um, you know, or, you know, the Korean market. <laughs> um, you know, a friend's house, a chosen family member's house. Um, you know, the more spaces we can make or find or create even that offer us some safety uh, can help at least like decrease the amount of injury mm -hmm. that would then happen in the workspace. Um, sometimes that's not enough depending on how problematic the work is. And of course, so many of us spend more time at work than we do in any other space. Um, but if you really can't leave, if you really have to stay in a, in a predominantly white institution that's quite harmful to you, um, then and finding and identifying or creating spaces like that can really help. Um, again, even virtually, it's not for everybody mm -hmm. or it's not enough, but um, early 2020, um, me and some of my friends um, who are all Asian therapists, we created a group for each other um just to support each other through what was going on especially with the increase in anti-asian hate crimes that was happening um and so again we didn't know of another group at the time especially us being therapists and so we just made our own um yeah that's that's pivotal mm -hmm. absolutely and uh, thank you for um saying that ginger because i think for a lot of the folks who listen to this podcast they're not only in sort of you know these primarily white spaces they're in a, a field that is um sort of completely infused with white dominant culture and, and shifting where you work you're not going to be able to get away from some of these systemic issues and i, I really appreciate having that uh, perspective for just thinking about what it means to work in a field like classical music where you're not easily going to be able to circumvent a lot of these things. Yeah, I mean, as great as it would be to just be able to have enough time, money and resources um, and maybe less racism to just create <laughs> your own. <laughs> just, right? just a little. <laughs> right, that'd be great. Um, but yeah, because unfortunately I don't see that happening anytime soon in a lot of areas, um, including classical music. Um, unfortunately, but yeah, then again, I don't want to make it sound so easy, but uh, just like this, right? You all mm -hmm. created this and this is a safe space, probably for all of you. And then hopefully you're the people that listen to this. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, you know, cause that's, it's visibility. It's, um, addressing these issues um it's you know hearing people of your community talking about something that you love that a lot of people don't associate with your community it's huge you know um I mean, just like uh even though now it's going off broadway which makes me sad um well actually it was never on broadway but it was a um, there's a k-pop musical that that's i think actually closing saturday sunday <laughs> um never made it to broadway but the fact that that even just became a thing was just incredible yeah. you know 
you know, I'm a, I, that's my, one of my passions is musicals, right? So just seeing that, um, even if it didn't last that long, you know, they created that space. I cannot imagine what it was like to be that cast, that crew um, of predominantly um, Asian, you know, artists, right? Um, and that's what you all have done here um, uh, for, for classical music, which I think is wonderful. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you for being here and sharing your wisdom with us. Thank you. So wonderful to hear from all of you. Um, yeah, such great questions. Uh, and hearing just a little bit of your own experiences is just um, always a good reminder for me of why I do what I do and why I talk about what I talk about. Well, and what you do is so important. It's not even funny. I can't even stress how important it is. So we'll have lots of resources um, for folks in the show notes. But in the meantime, is there anywhere that people can follow you? So uh, I have a website um, that my wife is very lovingly working on. I'm very lucky. I'm married to marketing person oh nice <laughs> um, so uh, but yeah social media and me professionally even personally don't go that well together <laughs> as much as I'd love to have more of a professional social media presence but my website um, does have some resources and um, I have a couple of ideas for things in the future but currently I'm mainly just focusing on um, being a therapist being a professor and uh, the consulting that I do. But with that said, um, even though I'm only one person, um, if, if anyone wanted to reach out, even if you're not in my state, I'm more than happy to send additional resources to give you some of my time. Um, if you're looking for support, um, I do my best to try to help people um, find a therapist, um, demystify therapy. Uh, that's something that I'm more than happy to to also do again, even if you don't live in my state. You, you don't have to live in my state to get that kind of help. That's amazing. Everybody, check out Ginger. Go get some help. Go get a therapist. You are not alone. And we will be right back. Thank you, Ginger. Thank you. are back once again thank you so much to ginger clee i stan i stan yes, <laughs> so good oh my god i can't we we have to have her back on the show oh definitely was... helping us get our mentals right thank you Love. right and i just uh, you all know me i need to get my mentals <laughs> right all the time um but <laughs> it's a perfect segue um because something that always makes me mentally happy is our favorite segment of the show. Paige, are you ready? I'm ready. All right. And a one, and a two, and a one, two, three, four. It's peanut butter jelly time. Peanut butter jelly time. Peanut butter jelly time. Peanut butter jelly. Peanut butter jelly. Peanut butter jelly with a baseball bat. Peanut butter jelly. Peanut butter jelly. Peanut butter jelly with a baseball bat. Hey. Yes. <laughs> that is correct. It is time for PBJ, Pure Black Joy. Um, celebrating all of the Black people, things, places, and ideas that are making us happy this week. Um, I'm just going to start out real quick um, because my pure Black joy this week is a Dr. Lee Bynum. Oh. Yes. Oh. Yes. oh. Uh, I'm very <laughs> proud of you. 
I am very Aww. happy for you. I'm very Aww. excited for you. Um, because you have some big news that was announced over the I holidays. Do. Mm-hmm. I um, do. Um, so would you like to share that with our audience? Yes, I will, just in case they don't follow me on LinkedIn and aren't aware <laughs> of <laughs> the goings on. Well, there was a whole um, press release, child. I know. Yeah. Right. They did, didn't they? Sleeped <laughs> it in the papers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, perhaps you have seen or heard, but I have accepted a new role at Lincoln Center for the Performing Arts in my beloved Manhattan, um, and I will be heading back shortly. Um, actually, by the time the show drops, I'll be kind of packed-ish, but I will be assuming the role of Chief Education Officer on February 1st. I'm super, super excited about this opportunity to focus on something that I'm very, very passionate about and getting the opportunity to work um, across disciplines again and being able to support a new generation of people, people of wide and diverse backgrounds all across the world, getting exposed and introduced to the performing arts. Um, It's been an extraordinary time here in Minnesota. I've met some absolutely lovely people and have had the chance to do some work I'm really, really proud of. And I'm certainly grateful to Ryan and our board chair, Nadej Souvenir, and everybody at Minnesota Opera for this really spectacular opportunity um and you know i will miss everyone here and miss everything except for this lovely weather um but (laughs) 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 the there are um a lot of things i'm excited about with this new role and um it's also a really important opportunity to go home at a time that I need to be closer to my family for a couple of reasons. Um, But I will be continuing um, as co-host of The Score as a quarter of a four-legged chair that needs all four legs to (laughs) function, including the fourth leg that you don't usually get to see. Mm -hmm. Actually, this is a podcast. You can't see any of the legs. (laughs) Um, (laughs) (laughs) But shout to Emilia, who... uh, does a lot to keep the show running as well um and everybody else on the impact team so yeah thank you this is um a bit of pure black joy to be able to go home and do work i'm passionate about at the you know lincoln center which is like the home team kind mm-hmm. of thing so i mean yeah. it's, it's incredible like you should be so proud of yourself oh thank and you and we are so proud of you and i mean the past couple of years i have learned so much from you i see you as sort of the older brother that i never had the much much Aww. much 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 older brother <laughs> 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 no and of course you know my co-host my boss my friend all of those things and so i'm gonna miss you terribly but not so much because you know we're gonna continue doing this show exactly. um, and it's gonna be pretty much exactly the same um you know we might reevaluate this summer to see um you know if we want to make any changes if things need to schedules and all of those things um and of course we will keep everyone 
um, abreast of those those changes. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, what can I say? You're amazing, and we love you. Oh, thank you. And I love you all right back. And I'm <laughs> very glad it was important. Um, this was like literally the first thing we talked about after I mentioned having the new job that we were going to continue mm -hmm. with the show. So I, I definitely mm -hmm. want to make sure people who are listening know that this is a like not just a, a fun thing we do at work, but it's actually become something more significant to all of us. And I am really grateful for the opportunity to continue these lovely Friday morning conversations. Yes. <laughs> Yay, me too. And you so know and, and you know, Paige, I don't think we expressly um talked about um, you know, you left Minnesota Opera full time, um, mm -hmm. you know, back in February, um, to focus on doula work and abolition work and all of that, mm -hmm. you know, amazing stuff that you do, you know, and we've talked about it in bits and pieces here and there yeah. <laughs> on the show. <laughs> um, so it's a little strange that I'm the only one left <laughs> at Minnesota <laughs> Opera, I guess. <laughs> but I'm just I'm just so glad that I get to spend this time with the two of you. So <laughs> yeah. yeah. Likewise, it felt important right away <laughs> to like keep doing this show. <laughs> no matter what. I'm yeah. like, yeah, like y'all the gay cousins I always wanted. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> yes so yeah the feeling is mutual love getting to kick it with y'all on friday mornings Yay. that's just a little love fest no <laughs> virtual hugs virtual hugs. <laughs> <laughs> well I guess that's gonna about do it for this week. Yeah. 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 Well, happy new year, everyone. And um please feel free to subscribe um to the show wherever you are listening to your favorite podcast. Um, leave us a review um on Apple Podcasts. It really, really, really will help us out, especially when mm -hmm. with words and especially when with five stars. Five. I'm not going into this year with any of that three star, <laughs> four star, <laughs> one star mess. Don't start the year with negativity. You keep that to yourself. <laughs> Um, and of course, tell your friends about us. Um, any words of wisdom before we go? Oh, Jesus. You'd think we'd be better at this. Well, I think I think Ginger. Just go oh, back yeah. and listen to everything Ginger. that Ginger said. She did. There you go. All of it. <laughs> all of it. All of it. All of it. Yep. Um, and get you a therapist. <laughs> that as well. That's a word of wisdom for everyone. <laughs> you probably need one. I'm just saying. <laughs> All right, that's it. We've got stuff to do, places to be. Love y'all. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> <laughs>